Well, looks can be deceiving, can't they? I remember being at a party and looking at what appeared to be a magnificent chocolate cake and I uh, took a piece, of course then discovered it was tiramisu and I hate coffee. It was terrible. Looks can be deceiving. And at times the look of the Christian life can deceive you. As you struggle with illness, sadness, uncertainty, failure, the look of your life can be one of struggle and toil and despair. You can wonder if God is there. God's word to us this morning is that looks can be deceiving. But God is here. He's with us. And there's even more in store for us when the Lord Jesus returns. And so no matter what your life looks like, God's word to us today is be strong. Stand firm. Wait for Christ. Persevere. No matter what your life looks like, God is with us. Christ is coming for us. At the end of chapter 1 from Haggai last week, we saw the Jews began rebuilding their temple. And that was terrific. But it didn't take long for things to start to look pretty ordinary. Uh, Only one month after they'd begun work on the temple, God has another word for them. And he tells those that can remember the original temple to compare the old one to the one that they're building now because this current model comes up a bit shabby. So have a look at it at verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Not the most inspiring words, are they? It's a bit like uh, restoring an old mansion and you think you're doing okay. You've uh, finished the walls, you've renovated the kitchen. But then someone from the historic society comes along and they show you some old photos of the place in its former glory and you realise that the building you're restoring is only a third the size of the original. The other two-thirds were lost in fire and demolition and what you're restoring, even when you're completely finished, won't even be a patch on the house than what it looked like to begin with. Now, God told the Jews to rebuild the temple. They're getting in, they're having a go, but it's not going to be a patch on what it was to begin with. So what's God going to do? Walk out? Turn his back on them? Call that a temple? No, that's not what he does. He puts his arm around his people and reassures them that they are his people. Have a look, verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Just have a look at that again in verse 5. Notice the amazing thing that God tells his battered people. He says that the covenant he set up right at the beginning of Israel's national history, the Sinai covenant, where God made Israel his people after rescuing them out of Egypt, he says to the Jews of the day, that covenant still stands. You are my people. My spirit remains among you. You're mine. I am with you. So be strong. Work on the temple. Don't fear. 
I know your enemies are making your life hard and you feel afraid. I know the temple looks small, but looks can be deceiving. I am with you. You are my people. And what God goes on to say in the rest of the chapter is that in the future, he's going to do remarkable things for his people. And he's going to do them with his temple. God's going to make up for the fact that this temple is small and a nothing. In the next 18 verses, 10 times God says, I will do this, I will do that. With the coming of God's temple will come remarkable things God is about to launch into action. So let's have a look at what will come when the temple is built. And the first thing is God's peace. God's going to rule the world and he's going to bring peace to the world as he gathers his people from across the globe to worship him at his temple. Verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Now God had shaken the earth before uh, when he rescued Israel out of Egypt. He shook Egypt and saved Israel out of there. But God is saying that once more he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. And this time it's not just going to be one nation, he's going to shake all nations. Have a look, verse 7. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. When God shakes the earth this next time, it's not just going to be one nation. He's going to shake all nations. And when he does, the desire of all nations, all the people that God wants from all over the earth, they'll come to this new temple. The old house was just for the Jews. This new house will be for all the world. And so the glory of this new temple being built, it'll be even greater than the glory of the former temple. Verse 9. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The peace that God speaks of here is world peace. Because what's being pictured is people from all over the world coming together as one to worship God in the new temple. No more fighting. The Jews no longer at war with all the foreign Gentile nations. Instead, it's going to be people from all nations streaming to God's temple to worship God together. It's going to be a house for all the peoples of the earth. With the new temple will come world peace. And that would be enough, I reckon, to stir up the people to work on the temple. As they look around and they see their small, battered nation, the massive foreign enemies that rule over them, their dismal temple. But remember, looks can be deceiving. Here, God's saying that with his new temple, he's going to usher in world peace by having a worldwide people of God. So pass me the shovel and give me some bricks. Let me build. But you know what? God's got even more. Because all this talk of the nations streaming to God's temple, it's tapping into this, this massive Old Testament expectation. Many of the prophets, they spoke of the coming of a new age when God would have uh, not only all the nations coming to him as his people, but God would also bless his people. 
give them his spirit, they would live in righteousness. The infection of sin in the world would be healed. The coming of the new age would see all of God's people live in God's way. And in verse 6, God says that that new age of blessing will be in a little while. In verses 10 to 19, God reminds the people that the time hasn't come yet. But that when the temple comes, God's blessing will come too. In verses 10 to 14, God reminds the people that they're still sinners. God's new age, it hasn't come yet. And it reaches ahead in verse 14. Have a look at it there. Verse 14. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. See, the people are working on God's house, but they're making it defiled because they remain trapped in sin. And yet God insists that despite this, he will bless them. Before the new temple was built, no blessing. But now that the temple is being built, now the time of blessing will begin. Verse 18. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. See, before the temple foundation was laid, no blessing. But from the day of the foundation of the temple being laid, God's blessing begins. Even for a defiled people, even for sinners with the new temple will come God's age of blessing. And not only will God's peace and blessing come with a new temple, but also his rule will come. In verses 20 to 23, God's final word through Haggai comes for Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, apart from having a cool sounding name, Zerubbabel was the political leader of the Jews at the time. Uh, he was from the family of King David, and you might recall 400 years earlier, from before Zerubbabel, King David was promised that one of his descendants would rule forever. But at the time of Haggai, Zerubbabel doesn't look like a candidate for it. For a start, he's not even called the king. He's the governor of Judah. And that's because he doesn't even rule, because Darius, the king of Persia, rules. But with the coming of the temple, well, all that's going to change. Have a look, verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month, Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. And we're back to God shaking things. Remember back verse 6 to 9? God's going to shake the heavens and the earth when he brings in his new temple. And here we learn that when he does, the nations will be swept aside. Verse 22. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. See that? Royal thrones overturned. The power of foreign kingdoms shattered. And Zerubbabel will take their place. Verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. 
The signet ring spoken of here is a symbol of God's approval on the Davidic king. God saying that the Davidic kings from the line of David, they will be restored. One will come from the line of David and he will rule over the nations and he will usher in the new age for the people of God. The glorious rule of God through his king will come with the temple. How are you going? Got, uh, I don't know. Mental indigestion? It's a lot in there, isn't it? I'm going to try and... uh, I know I've covered a lot of territory. I'll try and summarize it for you. God is with his people. God reassures them that, that with the new temple will come the new age of God's people. They're going to be joined from people from all over the earth to come and worship God at the temple in peace. They'll be blessed by God despite their sinfulness. And they'll again be ruled, out, ruled by God through the Davidic king. The new age is dawning. The time of judgment is over. God's coming for his people in ways far greater than they've ever experienced before. And it's all going to come with the temple of God. And so God says to them, take heart. Do not fear. Be strong. I know things look bad. The temple's small. Persia stands over you. Enemies around about you. But looks can be deceiving. With my new temple will come the new age. So build the temple. And build they did. Four years after uh, the prophet Haggai, uh, the temple was completed. And you can read about it in Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. There were huge celebrations, a fantastic dedication, but it fizzled into nothing. Because these promises of God's peace and his blessing and his rule... They didn't come with that new temple. The Jews' enemies remained. Foreign powers still ruled over them. The temple they built wasn't more glorious than the original. There was no worldwide mass movement to Yahweh. There was no world peace. Zerubbabel wasn't made king over the earth. The Davidic ones continued to be pitiful. What happened? Well, it's because the new temple the Jews were building back then was only a symbol of the ultimate temple that was still yet to come. Now, it was good that the Jews rebuilt their temple. Remember, like we saw last week, how you treat God's temple shows how you're treating God himself. And as well as that, this new temple that they built would be a reminder to the people of God's grand plans that one day God would come and shake the earth. He would gather his worldwide people. He would bless them. He would rule over them. One day God would do it all. And for the Jews of Haggai's day, it was terrific encouragement. As they looked at their enemies plotting their downfall, their temple, it was but a shadow of what the original was, they could hold on to the promise that one day God would do it all. And one day God did. God's new temple has come. But it was unexpected. It was more glorious, but in an unexpected way, because the new temple wasn't a physical building, but a physical person. Like we saw last week, the New Testament teaches us that Christ is the ultimate temple of God. Being God himself, Jesus is the pure presence of God. He is the new temple. And so with Christ have come all these promises of Haggai chapter 2. And so as we saw in verses 6 to 9, with God's temple will come God's peace, a worldwide people of God worshipping God together. 
that's happening now. People from all nations are streaming to Christ, worshipping God through him, God's worldwide people. We prayed for people in Bhutan this morning. We prayed for Africa, God's worldwide people. In verses 10 to 19, we saw that with the new temple would come God's blessing. And right now, anyone who trusts in Christ receives every spiritual blessing. All Christians everywhere have been forgiven of their sin. The death and resurrection of Christ on our behalf has washed away our sin. Everyone who trusts in Christ, or they're given the very Spirit of God. We're told there's not one spiritual blessing held back from those who trust in Christ. And then in verses 20 to 23, we saw that with the new temple will come God's ultimate rule through the final Davidic king. And Jesus is from the line of David. And he sits right now at the right hand of God, ruling over all creation. And so in Christ... We've been gathered together as part of God's global people. We've been given every spiritual blessing. We enjoy the rule of the eternal King Jesus. Last week from chapter 1, we saw that God hates coming second. This week, it's why on earth would you put God second? If you did something like that, you would only be selling yourself short. The wonder and the majesty and the glory of Haggai 2 is ours in Christ Jesus. But sometimes it doesn't feel like that, does it? At times we look at our lives and the world around us and we see the hurt and the failings of so many, our own weaknesses, and all this wonder of what we have in Christ can seem like pie in the sky. And that's because all that we've been given in Christ, even though we've been given so much, looks can still be deceiving. Because even though God's already begun the new age in Christ, it hasn't come in full. And so we're waiting for the Lord Jesus to return to finally and fully bring in the new age where pain and sickness and sin and death are no more. But it hasn't come yet. Christ hasn't returned yet. And so there's still many things that can make the Christian life look small and too hard. We speak of all these blessings of God being forgiven and saved, but right here, right now, we're hurting. We're sick. The older we get, the more health problems we have to endure. And death keeps creeping up on us. People we know die or are dying. Our own death looms large. Then there's our battles with sin. Day by day we do battle with selfishness, laziness, greed, lust, envy, bitterness. There's things in our lives that may never fully be conquered until the new creation. And that can mean looking forward to many years of toil and frustration. But I just want to love my wife, my husband better. I just want to love my kids better. I want to honour my boss better. I don't want to lose my patience all the time and I want to be done away with the destructive lure of alcohol or pornography or drug addiction. I just want to be filled with the joy of Christ. I just want to be completely self-controlled. I want to be faithful in everything I say and do, but sin rises with us every morning. 
Sin takes up its weapons and its temptations and every day the battle lines are drawn, every day we deal with disappointments. And there's so much more we can think of. All that can make the Christian life appear too long and too hard if, if you let yourself get taken in by appearances. Because even with all we have in Christ, looks can still be deceiving. And so we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who died for you and has washed away your sin, the one who rose from the dead for you and assures you, puts his arm around you, eternal life is coming. Deliberately make the choice, deliberately turn your thoughts to Christ and that in him, by his spirit, God is with you. Right here, right now, Christ has come for you. And he's coming for you. There's coming a day when he will wipe every tear from your eyes. When sickness and death and sin are no more, your pain and frustration will evaporate. Your back won't hurt. Your heart won't ache. Your mind won't give in. You won't wish for anything because your eyes will see the Lord Jesus. We will walk together to the throne of God and enjoy him forever. We will not sin. We will not die. We will live forever for the glory of God in all of his goodness. Our Lord Jesus will return. He's coming for his people. And so we're to live by faith, not by sight. Because looks can be deceiving. The word of God for us today is this. He says, I am with you. And I'm coming for you. So be strong. Do not fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glories that we have in Christ. Thank you for all that we have in him already through his death and resurrection on our behalf, that he is right now at your right hand, ruling over all creation on our behalf, speaking to you on our behalf in our defense because his blood has atoned for our sin. That, Father, we truly are your people and your Son has poured out your Spirit upon us that you truly are with us right here and right now. Father, all this is ours and we love you for it. We rejoice in Christ. And Father, as things in this life sometimes make those truths seem so distant, please remind us of Christ's patient, persevering endurance on our behalf on the cross. Remind us that he is seated at your right hand. Remind us, Father, he's coming back and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And he'll bring us into the glory of your final and full new creation, your final and full new age, where you will completely eradicate sin and death and pain. Father, we long for that day. We are so grateful to be your people through Christ. So we ask that you would help us to be strong, to not fear, to persevere in our faith in Christ. And we ask it for his glory. Amen.